Well, it's wonderful to be at another camp meeting. One more time. This is the um, first time I've ever stood here to deliver God's word without my father standing behind me, without my mother out in front of me, and uh, I miss them tonight. And Dad and Mom, I love you. They're watching on the webcast, and uh, I know a lot of y'all miss them, and I appreciate all y'all. Dad is doing well, and he's on the road to recovery, and the worst part that's hurting him tonight is his heart that he can't be here but he's recovering in body and 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 doing well and we appreciate all your prayers and support i speak for my family when i say that i ask you to pray tonight for god's word um this is a very important part uh this is the foundation of everything that we do the bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of god the bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. So that tells me that I can't believe God unless I believe his word. Because my faith comes from the hearing of the word of God. Um, we got off to a wonderful start. I'm so thankful for those that have come to an altar and, and have given their life and their heart to God. Um, we, uh, we stand tonight as a people and we stand on the shoulders, Brother Harry, of those that have come before us. We stand on the foundation, the Bible says, of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. I'm going to start off reading tonight in the fifth chapter. I've got several places I want to read. I've tried to narrow it down. I, um, I've been wrestling with God over this message for a long time. And I... One part of me doesn't want to give it because I guess there's a part of me that's not completely removed from what you think of me. But I had a thought at my grandparents' grave this afternoon. If this was the last sermon I ever preached, would I say it? And tonight, my brother Ted stood, stood there and grabbed my hand, not knowing what my thoughts had been today, and he says, he said, brother, preach it like it's your last sermon. So I take that that God wants to say tonight. I um, start off, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. I believe Uncle Leon read this last night. I've told my children to put this on my tombstone. This is in the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians, the 20th verse. And I believe this is our mission statement if we have one. It says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you, the lost, by us, the saved. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. The next verse, the last verse of this chapter says, For he hath made him Christ to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I'm a faulted man preaching a flawless gospel that was originated by a sinless Savior. And he started a church that we're a part of, our folks, that the Bible says, Brother Harry read this last night, is without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Now, how could it be possible that the church of God could be without spot or wrinkle if we, the sanctified, are faulted? 
But no wonder the Bible says that charity will cover a multitude of sins. The Bible says sins, but the context of that verse is false. He does not remove our personality when we get sanctified. He does not remove the core of who he made us when we were in the womb, when he saw us. But as it says in Psalm, before we were born and he knew who we were, and our names were written in that in his book, it says, in that book of Psalms. So it, it really follows as Philippians says in the first chapter. And I didn't know I was going to read this, but this ties right in. Let me kind of find it really quick. He said that I am, I thank my God, the first chapter of Philippians, the third verse. Upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, that's talking about when we find God and we get sanctified, he will perform it until the day of Christ. What he's telling us, brothers and sisters, it does say in the 10th chapter of Hebrews that he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. The work that God does on our hearts is an absolute perfect work of grace. When a man or a woman gets up for an altar of prayer and they have asked God to forgive them for their sins and they have repented and told God they don't want to go back. When God removes those sins, the Bible says he casts them behind his back. The Bible says as far as the east is removed is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. When God forgives, they are gone. Never, God never remembers them against us anymore. When that man or woman that's had their sins forgiven comes back to an altar of prayer and asks God to send the Holy Spirit into their life to sanctify them by thy truth, thy word is truth. When that Holy Spirit like a dove enters into a man or a woman's heart, that work of sanctification is a perfect work. Yes, amen. God doesn't do work halfway. You don't have to worry about God just just not being interested and just half doing the job. When God does it, it's a perfect work. But our growth and our walk in Christ is just beginning at the altar. The Bible says to grow in grace. You can't grow in it until you get in it. And I'm going to tell you something else. There is, it says, grow in grace. I want to tell you, there is grace from God to the sanctified people after they've been sanctified. I wrote a newspaper column this year, and I believe this with all my heart. I believe that God has more grace than the Wesleyans believe, and that would be us. I don't know that we acknowledge fully the grace of God after we've been sanctified. And he has more judgment than the Calvinists believe. And you can write that one down. And if any of y'all feel led to say amen, it'll be all right. Uh, you You don't do this job alone, let me tell you. The Holy Ghost better be with you, and it really is nice to have our folks 
If the amens aren't there, it sounds like chainsaws warming up behind you. So when you're out on the limb, so I want to I want to read tonight in um, the next place I want to read is in the tenth chapter of Second Corinthians. It says, starting in the third verse, for though we walk in the flesh. Now remember, Jesus prayed in the seventeenth chapter of Saint John. He said, Father. I pray not that thou shouldest take these disciples, as he was praying for, out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil that's in the world. So this says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That's two words. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's a very common term in the evangelical world today. Um, I've dealt with several people that came out of evangelical churches. We've got several of those in our congregation in Albany, Leesburg. And the common term is stronghold. That's, that's a very, very popular term. I, I think, I'm, I may be wrong, but I believe this is the only time that it's mentioned in, in the Bible, in, in, this, in the verse that I just read. And I'll read it again. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And the term that these pastors use, many of them, is that, um, that you need to ask God to help you uh, overcome the strongholds that Satan has in your life. They're talking to believers. They're talking to saved people mm -hmm. that the devil still has strongholds in your life. And they talk about um, um, the, the temptations that are common to man. And, and the devil has strongholds. And so you have to go to God for the strongholds in your life. But I'm going to tell you what, it, it's flawed theology to talk like that for the simple reason that that the devil and God cannot coexist in your heart at the same time. Can out of the same fountain come forth sweet water and bitter? Uh, it, the Bible's asking in the book of James, it's impossibility. So if Christ is in your heart, then Satan has been removed because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. The Bible says in the first chapter of 1 John. So the strongholds that remain. Now this is talking to sanctified people here. And it says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. Amen. But they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now it is true that when you find God, your memory of who you used to be does not go away right away. It is true that you will remember your old friends. It is true you will remember your old habits, the old places that you used to go. That is true. The strongholds, if there are any that remain, it is not Satan that has a stronghold in your life. It is you That's right. holding on to a memory of your past and you refusing to let go and let God. Amen. If you've got strongholds in your life that you're struggling with after you get sanctified, my brother, my sister, Uncle Ray, if he was here tonight, would say to you to examine yourself right. whether you be in the faith or not. Right. Satan doesn't have any power on the sanctified people. That's right. He is under Christ's feet. Yeah. 
He, oh my goodness, hallelujah. Amen. Our, our people, when we started, when our church started, way long time ago, before us, any of us were here. They, um, I, I, I've gone back in the last two years and I, um, I'd almost, I'm, I'd almost be like uh, Paul said tonight, and I don't want to do this in a selfish way, but if I can find this verse here, um, when they were trying to get the, uh, uh, the disciples, uh, they were put in custody and they were trying to get them to, to be quiet. And uh, uh, Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, just ye. This is a verse. But we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. It, it's probably an impossibility for me to stand here tonight and not reference the work of God that's been done in Albany Leesburg in the last two years. I cannot but speak the things that I have seen and heard and experienced. This church has altered my thinking. It has altered who I am. It has completely transformed so many areas of my life. Yes, amen. And it's given me more faith than I've ever had for the furtherance of the gospel. Mm -hmm. Our church, I, I've gone back in the last two years so many times in my mind wondering as we, and I, I flash back a lot, Brother Floyd, to, to your, um, in 1992, you and Brother Harry stood here and read so much of the history of the church and the places those people went to preaching the gospel, really with very little money, sometimes maybe none. And they were sold out to the furtherance of the gospel. And they reached your people. Somebody say amen. Amen. They reached somebody in your lineage somewhere across this great country of ours. I can't even fathom doing the physical part of what they did. And they were sold out to the furtherance of the gospel. Yes, and I've wondered so many times in these past two years when these, you know, we read, we hear about these revivals that they had and souls that were coming in and in waves. And I wondered how did they handle this? How did they deal with so many new people that were coming from so many different backgrounds, different theological backgrounds? Weren't, you know, back in the early days, folks, this might be hard for you to imagine today. Today we have traditions of Christ's sanctified holy church. Right. In 1897, when the folks left the island, they were five years old. There might have been a few traditions, but they were not deeply rooted ones. They were fairly new. Right. And so there was, I don't know how they did it. But I tell you what, I thank God that they had acceptance along the way. Amen. Not everybody they preached to believed every jot and tittle of the gospel when they come up from the altar and were sanctified. And somehow God gave those people grace that they did not condemn those people for lining up on every jot and tittle of the gospel. But they loved them with love. They had patience with them. They taught them the word of God. And that's why one reason that we're alive today. Amen. I do not believe I may stand on this limb alone and that's alright if I do because it's my belief. I do not believe the days of furthering the gospel of Jesus Christ with the message of conversion and sanctification is dead and over. Amen. If this church is not growing, it is our fault. It is not God's power that's limited. So may God give us a change in mindset. May God help us to reshuffle our priorities. 
Oh, we got all this news going on. We got a lot of news. You know, the uh, I don't think I have to tell anybody here, the housing market's just a little bit off. And uh, gas prices are a little bit up, aren't they? Stock market, up, down, sideways, backwards, everywhere. Uh, banks being taken over. Second coming doomsday preachers, man, they're loving it. They're having a field day with it. And uh, it's really just, you know, it's, it's life. It, it's happened before. It will happen again. Um, but boy, it, it, things are bad. I believe God is in control, don't you? Yes, he is. <laughs> Some folks want to think that this person's in control and that person's in control and, you know, all these things can, you know. Folks, either God's in charge or we're in trouble. That's right. <laughs> I'll tell you that right now. If you want to think that, you know, I'm not knocking you for doing it, but if you want to think your vote in September or October, whenever it is, is going to make a big difference. No, I believe God's got a lot more control than whoever the next president is and all that stuff. So we, um, I got to turn loose here. I'm having a hard time. Y'all pray for me. Maybe this will help. I got to tell you what's on my heart. I, uh, I believe that we can grow. I don't believe that the days of growth are over. Now, when I look out, and I've never ever had this thought before, but I looked out here last night and this morning, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. We've not increased the numbers that come to camp meeting. I, I don't remember back 49 years ago when I was born. But I can go back about 25 years and remember it pretty well. And so I can't say shame on us or shame on you, but I can say shame on me. Because that's where it has to start. I remember I read the verse. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. I had someone ask me today, uh, a, a sanctified sister that I dearly love, a sincere question. She asked, do you believe that God loves us all the same? Y'all believe that? Amen. Bible says God has no respect for a person's death. And and she was looking at herself that she didn't feel like she has a lot of talent to do things, to preach, to, you know, and 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 her circle of influence maybe was not as great as some others. But the Bible says that everyone is a part of the body of Christ. Every the eye, you, you only got two eyes, right? And in and, and all the various parts. But I'm saying that we all that are sanctified are a part of the body of Christ. We all have a responsibility to help God grow his kingdom on this earth. We all somehow are responsible if we have not grown in the last 25 years. 
So you might as well take your lumps, look in the mirror, accept it, and resolve to do better. We do not have to settle for going to church three or four times a week and talking to each other. That's right. That's right. Amen. Lord help us. It's quiet. But I'm telling you what I believe in my heart. You might say, well, we our church is in a bad neighborhood. Has it ever occurred to you that might be the very neighborhood that Jesus would go to and preach? Amen. That's right. Do you think he'd go to the million-dollar home neighborhoods? No. He would probably go to places that we don't really co aren't comfortable going. He lived the example, didn't he? So we, we started off with an evangelical zeal. We know the history, and a lot of times I think we, we, we take a little pride in that history. Maybe forgetting somehow that, folks, that's exactly what it is. Pretty much it's history. Pretty much it's in the history book. Pretty much there's a few people maybe that saw a part of it that are left with us, but they're dwindling with every passing year. Oh, we've had revivals. We've had a flurry here. We've had a flurry there. I'm talking about steady, sustained growth as a people. I know some people say, well, the world doesn't accept it. The world is different today. But you're letting the devil win when you give any excuse for not growing the church of God. You're taking away from the power of God. So we settled down, and I think our folks might have been glad to have done that. And we went through World War II, and I remember distinctly Brother Floyd saying that our people were hard, diligent workers, when, and the economy was booming when the war was over, and our people became affluent, and we, we settled, and we did like Brother Ed Miller said, and we built brick churches that he had warned us against building. Right. And we have fulfilled his words. In the last sermon, he preached on these grounds. I believe it was in 1952. Um, but he said, and I'm paraphrasing that, if we get to the point where we've got brick churches and we just say, we just hope some little fellow will come in the door that we can talk to. He was warning us that that could happen. And folks, we have lived up to those words, exactly generally right. as a people. And I'm not saying this, I don't, man, there might be some saying, wow, you're really being negative, Gary, and you're, you know, you're, you know, talking down, and, and there's some folks might say, well, you really think, you know, you really got all the answers because of what God's done in Albany in the last two years. And I can tell you right now, I ain't got no magic wands. The only thing I believe that might can change is if we gather together and refuse to accept status quo. Right. Amen. It will stand together and say that we need to change our priorities and we need to quit building our personal kingdoms and we need to quit worrying about uh, laying up for ourselves treasures on earth. We need to quit tearing down our barns to build bigger. And we need to get focused on what the most important thing in life is. And that's getting the gospel of Jesus Christ out to a world before they die and go to hell. Yes, amen. Amen. And I believe we can do it. Yes. I'm probably a dreamer. But that's all right. Hagee, I said. Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts. First chapter, second verse. The, this people said, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, 
Is it time for you and me to dwell in your sealed, nice, luxury, upscale, I paraphrased all that, houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, and a lot of times when we read this, we read this to sinners, but I'm reading this to our folks tonight. Yeah. The Lord says, consider your ways. Amen. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. You right. drink, but you are not filled with drink. Mm -hmm. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. It goes on down into the second chapter. And the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai saying, who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Now I can only remember the house of God that we know as Christ's sanctified holy church in her first glory because I've heard the history reports, because I know the stories, because my grandmother was there during some of it. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was there during some of it. My great-grandmother and my great-grandparents were there during some of it. We know that mm -hmm. and we remember and we take pride in this house mm -hmm. at her first glory. And he says, how do you see it now? And that's the question I believe God wants us all to consider here tonight, folks. I think that we stand at a precipice, at, at, at a crossroads right. in our history as a church. We have got some wonderful things happening. I think, and I start, and I do this in my mind, I link it geographically. I think of the new church that they're getting ready to open. I still can't say Chesapeake, Danny. I have to say Norfolk. Your dad would say that too, I think. But in Norfolk and Chesapeake, the beautiful facility, the excitement level in the Norfolk crowd is at an all-time high. I've been there a few times recently, and it's just wonderful. I just get pumped going up there. And I thank God for that. I, the video today was running about I'm moving the, the church on Shinkatig. Brother Dewey got excited about that, and we're thankful for that. Uh, the, the folks in West Columbia just opened their beautiful sanctuary this past Sunday and had wonderful services right before camp meeting. Um, over in Jemison, Sister Pam, <laughs> thank you, Sister Hazel. Uh, over in Jemison, Sister Pam testified this morning. They're working on a new facility. I spoke with Brother Larry Curry this week and they just got a contractor to contractor's license to work and do the new church down in Homa, Louisiana. Isn't that wonderful news? That's, but folks, all they are are buildings. And you can change your location and you can change your carpet color and you can change your pews, but if you don't change your attitude, we're going to continue the same thing we've been doing. And so I say to all of you, once the excitement wears off of where you are, what are your plans to grow? What are you going to do to fill the building? What are you going to do? Have you got expansion plans already in place? I hope you do. Because God can do it. It will turn him loose. Now I talked about strongholds. And I think sometimes as a people, we've got a stronghold 
I don't know that we really would admit it, but we just almost aren't quite confident that the world will accept the doctrine, this unusual, strange doctrine that not many people have heard about of conversion and sanctification. And our comfort zone is to bring it inside just to our children and the ones that we know. But I can tell you what's happening in Albany is just a sliver of what people are ready to hear the world around. There are people that are ready to know, as Brother Stan said, that there is absolute, complete, and total freedom from sin in your daily life. That's right. Amen. Why in the world do we have the brakes on? Let's let it go. I'm telling you. Um, I, I believe in all of the Gospels. The clock is ticking. I believe in all of the Gospels. You can almost condense, and this may be a little bit of an oversimplification, it probably is, but I believe you can almost condense the message of Jesus down to two things. This is one of them, and this is to our church. I don't think we've lived up to this. I know we haven't. I don't think it. I know it. But maybe we can change it. Matthew 6 and 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. That's right. Some of y'all probably are standing judging me right now because there's not many secrets in this church. And I've never been a financial success. In fact, I've had a lot of financial failures. And some of you are probably disregarding my words because I'm a faulted man. And that's okay if you do that. I'm not saying this because I don't have a lot of money. And so it's easy for me to talk to some of you that do. I'm not saying this in judgment. I'm not saying this in condemnation. I don't do real good, and anybody that knows me real well will know, I don't do real good at ignoring elephants in the living room. I don't, I don't like tiptoeing around stuff and pretending it doesn't exist. And I'm giving you my heart tonight maybe more than I've ever, ever given you over this yes, pulpit. Good Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves as a people treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal for where your treasure is there will your heart be also is it any wonder that our growth stopped when our treasure building started and I'll ask some of you that are real financial gurus and we got a lot of them here I mean a lot of them and I know some of them that are great. I admire that. Would you accept a growth percentage in your personal portfolio for the last 25 years like we've had as a church? I hope not. If you had a financial consultant, and many of you do, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just talking reality. And he was expert at talking the intricacies of money and the money market and where to put your money and where to invest your money and where to do this. Would you accept, honestly, I'm asking you, I'm asking you honestly, would you accept that you would meet him three or four times a week and have wonderful 
discussions of all the intricacies and fine details of money and your money never grew? The 24th verse says, no man, and I could say no church, can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And you can argue with this last line if you want to, but it's Jesus' words. You cannot serve God and mammon. We, we, we take that out of context a lot when we read this over the stand and we, we talk about that you can't serve God and sin. But the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. The love of it. You don't have to have it. Just the desire, the love for it. So if you even wanted to say, this is talking about you cannot serve God in sin, the love of money even comes in there, doesn't it? So he comes on down into, and I, I can say I, I, I don't know that I've ever lived up to this verse. Maybe, maybe some of you have. Therefore take no thought, saying what, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. When the Jesus gave, I'm moving on in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark, um, when Jesus gave the parable of the sower that sowed the, the word, and it went out on the different kinds of ground, and the one kind of ground. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Talked about the thorny ground and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of riches. You know why they're deceitful? We are following the world when we take that as the most important thing in our personal life. We're believing the world that money is going to be the cure for all of our problems. That money is going to be able to buy happiness. That money is going to be able to fix everything. That money is going to be able to buy me a family and buy me people that love me. And it is following the world's goals when we believe that. When Christ is the only one that can bring those things to us. Amen. Amen. Rich or broke, that's the only happiness. Amen. And the lust of other things entering in choked the word, and it remaineth unfruitful. It says in the book of Luke in the same parable, it, it's, it, it calls it the pleasures of this life. That's what money gives us access to more than the things of God. I'm going to move right along. You, but this is the other part that I believe that Jesus gave us as a commandment. And it says in the 16th chapter of Mark, the last chapter of the book, um, afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart. And he said unto them, This is a commandment. 
Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, some people look at that verse and they say, well, we need missionaries in Africa and China and South America. And they think it's, and and that's fine. God bless the ones that have that calling. But I'm going to tell you what I really think this means. Bring it down to where we are. I'm so thankful for our people in Leesburg. They go into neighborhoods. They've gone into trailer parks bringing people to church. They've gone to work in their workplace where they work, bringing complete and absolute strangers to the rest of us out to church. That's what it's talking about when it says go into all the world, the world around you. Go to places that maybe you're not comfortable going. Take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the world know there's a Savior that saves completely from sin. Yes, amen. Oh, he doesn't have respect to persons, but in every nation, he that feareth God and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. I tell you what, there's a world that is hungry for the gospel. Yes, amen. Now, one of the things I'm going to the last two places that I'm planning to read, I've learned not to say the, you know, just say it because I've been told I don't always follow that. In the 15th chapter of Acts, um, there was actually in the 14th chapter, um, the, the, the disciples, uh, the apostles have been out preaching. And they, in the last two verses of this chapter, they gathered the church together. They rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Now remember that when the New Testament church was started, it talks about in the story of Cornelius, the apostles which were at Jerusalem. Uh, the, the ones that were there, that were a part of it, they were Jewish in their tradition. Uh, even, even Paul had been taught at the feet of Gamaliel. That was the, the, the overseers of the New Testament church were Jewish. But God was fulfilling his word when he said in the first chapter of Acts that you're going to be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. He had taken the gospel to Cornelius, a man of the Italian band. And now here in the 14th chapter, they rehearsed to the church how God had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. Now listen to this. An important passage, folks. The first verse. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and they said to these Gentile believers except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses you cannot be saved they in effect were calling their testimony empty that you're not completely there brother oh maybe God sanctified your heart but you need something done to your outside And so there was a dissension and disputation and it comes on down uh, and then the the fifth verse, there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. These were sanctified Pharisees, Pharisees which believed. But they said it was needful to circumcise these Gentiles and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now that was in the law. It was lawful. But this, my brothers, my sisters, as they were finding out, and we already know, we are not under the law, but under grace. But this was the New Testament church. They were growing. They were learning. They still had ties over into the Old Testament. And what I find today 
as we have floods of new people coming in, it seems like um, a few months ago, and I don't say this to be funny, except it is, and it really kind of expresses a little bit sometimes how we're overwhelmed. We, um, we had had a bunch of good things happening and uh, a lot of new people coming out. We got home one night and my wife looked at me and she said, we have just got too many new people in this church. <laughs> and I said, isn't that the point? <laughs> and it's a little overwhelming. And as I mentioned earlier, you've got people coming in that don't understand Amen. all that the, so many of you understand, the technicalities and intricacies and deep layers that we understand. And it's easy for us to say, except these newly sanctified people do this, maybe they really hadn't got it. God help except they dress like this, well then, you know, we're just not quite sure about them. Right. What we're doing is we're doing like the Pharisees here, holding to our traditions to confirm the inward work of grace. But I'm going to tell you what, that we already know from the Word of God that man looks on the outward appearance, right. but God looks on the heart. Amen. Yes. They went on and they had a meeting of these apostles and they decided to send a letter. And I'm, believe it or not, convincing it. And it came, comes down to the 25th verse, and this was the letter. That it seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost. That's, that's pretty good confirmation. And to us. And this is what I believe the secret to our growth is, folks. If we're, I'm going to tell you this with all my heart. If we're waiting to grow to fit every new convert into the box that we know, Amen. because we've been in this church for all of our life and grandparents, and we will not grow this church. Amen. That's right. That's right. What it is not our job to clean people up. It is God's job. It is not our job to judge people. God is the judge of all men. And if you do the judging, you're trying to do God's work and you're going to find yourself like the man that reached his hand out to steady the Ark of the Covenant. God didn't need his help. To do his work. God had his hand on the ark. And God's got his hand on his church. And you can believe if somebody gets sanctified, God will deal with them on these things. It seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. Now, I, I will tell you, we... um. Y'all already know we webcast our services around the world. Uh, we have soldiers in Iraq that watch uh, many of our services, and we thank God for that. Yeah, and people in all kinds of countries, and many, many of you sitting here have told me, oh, Brother Bobby, this week that you watch our services. We're thankful for that. However, it's kind of like um, living in a neighborhood and not having any drapes on your windows. <laughs> Ain't too many secrets. Right. Um, neighbors would pretty much know all your secrets. And y'all pretty much know a lot, many of you, what's going on. And I say this, I have been criticized by some that are in this house tonight. And I, I can take it, it's okay. Um, 
that have I talked to somebody about this and have I dealt with somebody about that and and um, because in our rush to be comfortable we want everybody to be what we know to conform. That's right. right. To what we believe to be standards of the Bible. However, we ourselves aren't always consistent. I read this week in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, for example, if you want to talk about things, that if you want to believe everything that Paul the Apostle wrote and you want to exercise everything that he talked about, then you women had really need to start covering your head. And we don't, the same man that talked about gold and silver and pearls also talked about, dare I say it, costly array. And so I'd say this not to make fun. I, if you know me, you know I love this church with all my heart. You know my lifestyle. I am conservative at heart. I believe in that. But what I'm telling you folks, I have learned, and we have got to learn as a people, if we want to grow, we have to accept people not where we want them to be right now, instantly. We've got to accept them where they are at. That's right. We've got to thank God that he's working with them. We've got to thank God that they have a thirst and a desire to want to be sanctified. We've got to understand that we've got more of a responsibility in God's eyes, in the eternal scale of things, to get the message out to the world than we do to worry about how much money we leave to our children. And, and, and one day, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for the deeds done in the body, whether they, this is a direct quote, some people say whether it be good or evil, the Bible says whether it be good or bad. Amen. Indicating that not every decision we will make as sanctified people may always be good. We may get our priorities mixed up, but if we're sincere, we can do it. And I'm going to close, and y'all can say hallelujah with this. This is a, a peek through the window of the New Testament church. In the very early days, and it starts with this verse. In Acts 2nd chapter, when Paul got through and with his sermon, he said with many other words, so see he was long-winded too, with, with many other words, he did testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. What he was telling those people was, Don't succumb to the siren call of the world around you. Don't let your values be determined, and I'll say it in 2008 terms, by television ads and Fortune magazine and Inc. magazine and all these other things. Let your priorities be determined by the Word of God. Save yourself, I'm telling you. Save yourself as a church. Save yourself as an individual. Save your family from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received His words were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Amen. You can preach a strong message of right priorities, and the world will receive it. That's right. Amen. And this is the last few verses of this chapter. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine 
I believe this is talking what they said in Acts 15 about the necessary things. And in my heart, I'm going to go back to this for a second. I, like I said, some of you have criticized, and that's okay. And you mean well, and I love you for it. I don't necessarily agree. Because I'm looking at people and I'm dealing with people. It's one thing to judge people you don't know. It's another thing to look at people and you don't. But when you're in their lives and you're involved and you know their background and you know they're doing good just to walk in church because they had a bad experience somewhere or they had someone, a pastor that let them down and they thought they'd never go back to church. You're so thankful to have them there. You're not worried about some of these external things that may really not have eternal value in God's eyes. I don't know. That's up. Y'all can decide that on your own. And that's what you ought to do. Let every man, um, I can find it really quick, I think. Well, I can't. But anyway, what I want to say is, is that the necessary things, Brother Bobby and I have had long talks about this privately. What are we going to focus on as a message of our congregation? Are we going to try to line everybody up, make them fly just right? I don't think it's possible. You know what, folks? Amen. We can't even do it right here. Amen. No, that's right. Somebody say amen. amen. We can't even do it among ourselves. How in the world are we going to do it if we're bringing in new people? Let's be realistic about it. So what we've decided in Albany Leesburg that we're going to focus on the necessary things. Yes. You tell me. You know it already. What are the necessary things for somebody to go to heaven? Amen. You better start with repentance. That's right. You better follow up with sanctification. Yeah. Amen. You better follow that with living holy. Yeah. You better follow that with every one of you as a child of God is personally responsible to God for the decisions that you make for your life. I can't tell you how to live, but I can tell you who to follow. And folks, it's working. I'm not saying this arrogantly. We're going to have problems. The more people that we have coming in, Brother Bobby's my backup. He'll probably talk about some of this when he preaches tomorrow morning. But the more people we have, guess what? the more problems we have. There's a lot of work that goes into growing a church, but I'm gonna tell you what, it's worth it. Yes, amen. It's the most amazing thing that's ever happened in my life to be a part of this. I'm so thankful that I didn't have to be in my 90s before I found out that we don't have to accept status quo. There is a world that is willing to listen and accept and believe and commit to the doctrine of conversion and sanctification. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good preaching. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers and prayers. And in fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, and all that believed were together. And boy, I tell you what, I, I admire the man or woman that tried to interject this into our church. And they had all things common. Oh my goodness. You know, everybody believes on an intellectual level. I doubt there's anybody here that would disagree that the money you have, whether it be millions or whether it be 20s, you'd all say, yeah, it's God's money. But you know what? Reach over and try to grab somebody's money sometime and see if they really believe that, that it's God's money. That's right. Folks, we need an attitude adjustment. 
Is it God's or is it ours? That's right. Good question. And they sold their possessions and goods. Remember this ties in with the parable of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And Jesus told him, go keep the commandments. He said, I've done all that since my youth. And Jesus hit him right where he hurt. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And I'm afraid I don't know how many of us could pass that test here tonight. Right. He went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Right. Right. I'm telling you folks, it's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to do it. May God help us all. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here is the bottom line. And this is what can happen to Christ's sanctified holy church in 2008. It will get our priorities straight and the Lord added to the church daily such yeah. as should be saved. Right. I'm telling you folks, we can do it. Amen. Yeah. You think about one thing he said, and don't get nervous, it's just one verse. <laughs> Y'all that weren't in Greensboro would have a hard time believing I only preached for 25 minutes there, but I did do it. But he said here in Haggai that I will fill this house with glory. Listen to these two verses. The silver is mine and the gold is mine saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than that of the former house, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Somebody would say, how in the world could we be more evangelistical than our old folks did? How could the glory of this house where we're uh, we, we have not lived up to let us lay aside every weight. Weighted down with pleasures of this life and wealth and all these things and focused on things and not the necessary things all the time. How could we be, the glory be greater if we can take the wealth and the blessings and the knowledge and the energy that God has given us and apply it in this generation to evangelism, we could do more than our old people did. Amen. The glory of this latter house can be greater right. if we'll give our all to God. Yes. And I'm doing that tonight. Amen. And I want to tell you that are lost, and especially those of you that are our folks' children, come home. Yes. Brother Danny, come home to your church. Come home to your forefathers, the church of your forefathers. Help us serve God. Brother Danny, I love your testimony that you're willing to give. You pledged it this morning. You're willing to work for God and give God the rest of your life. God bless you for that. Yes, and if you live up to that, it'll bring joy and happiness Hallelujah. and contentment. Let's all stand while we sing a song of invitation.